Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, childhood is supposed to be filled with good times and laughs, but of course, some children may experience a significant loss during their childhood or adolescence. It's actually more common than you might think. According to the Childhood Bereavement Estimation Model, as of 2021, one in 14 American children will experience the death of a parent or sibling before the age of 18. Still, it's not easy to talk about grief with adults, let alone children. But as the key adults in our children's lives, we need to be able to step in and navigate the thoughts and feelings that our kids are experiencing as they experience loss. They likely will have many questions when a grandparent, a parent, a sibling, or other close a key adult in their lives or a friend dies. They might wonder if they're at fault, if they're safe, who will make their grilled cheese sandwich and take them to soccer if that person who passed away is the one who did those things for them. When we shut down and don't talk about grief and death with kids or make the mistake of assuming they're fine because they're not talking about it, kids can wind up filling in their questions with their own answers based on misunderstandings and incorrect information. We need to help them get the conversation going through a variety of techniques that allow them, and also us, to manage grief in productive ways. We've discussed talking about death and grief with Joe Primo in the past. We've talked about suicide with Dr. Dan Reenberg and Dr. Jonathan Singer. And now we will discuss grief through a new lens with Katie Lear, who uses child-friendly activities to comfort kids and help them to overcome sadness, fear, and loss that are associated with grief. Katie Lear is a licensed clinical mental health counselor, registered drama therapist, and registered play therapist based in North Carolina. She combines creative play with research-based tools to help children, tweens, and teens cope with anxiety and trauma. Katie brings her expert knowledge to her new book, A Parent's Guide to Managing Childhood Grief, as she walks through important topics like how different children grieve, how to talk about death, and what signs to look for during the grieving process. And today, we're also going to be discussing the tools that you need to connect with your child and move towards healing and acceptance as a family when your child is grieving a significant loss. Welcome, Katie Lear, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you. Your book is so accessible with 
so many activities to use. We're going to be going through a lot of them today. Um, I know that the people who are listening will love this because it's not full of theory and um, unaccessible uh, uh, ideas, but really specific activities. But before we get into the full conversation, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in helping kids manage childhood grief? Ooh, this is a great question. I, I would say for me, what gets me up in the morning, and this may sound surprising given that I often work with heavy subjects like trauma and grief, but um, I do not laugh harder in my life than I do in my sessions with many of my child clients. Mm. They are so funny. It is such a joy and a privilege often to get to hang out with children, to see how their minds work, to be a part of their creative play. And even in really heavy sessions, there is often a lot of humor. And I think that is what I look forward to most Mm. in my, in my work. It's not all heavy. Even when the subject is heavy, it's not all heavy. Um, And I got really interested in speaking about grief and death because it was one of the things that for me as a therapist and as a parent is hard to to think about and talk about. Um, I think for many of us, whether we are parents or we're professionals in the field, there is a tremendous pressure to feel like you have to get this conversation right. We have those few really taboo subjects like sex and death, and there's this feeling that more so than with other issues we talk about, that there is a real weight on this, that we could somehow get it terribly wrong and somehow Mm -hmm. create a really bad memory for a child if we talk about this in the wrong way. Um, So yeah, those subjects that are hard for us to speak about as adults are really interesting to me because my gosh, if we don't know how to talk about this with each other, then how on earth are we going to speak about it with kids? Mm. I mean, that is a really good point. So let's lay the groundwork here. Can you under can you help us to understand what grief might look like through the ages? Because obviously you're dealing with all different ages from toddlers to teens. So can you tell us what grief might look like at different ages and also different differences between boys and girls? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's thinking about how children grieve and how that grief can look different, both in age and in development, because we know too that, you know, two 12 year olds can be very different in terms Mm of where they're at maturity wise. Um, I think knowing how children grieve is really helpful because it doesn't always look the way that we would expect. Um, And I think actually for a long time, kind of like in the Freudian days and a little bit after there was this assumption that children were not capable of grieving, that they could not grieve at all. Um, that maybe they didn't have the sort of psychological maturity yet to really understand what death is. Um, But we know now that even little children who haven't fully figured out conceptually what death means in a permanent way still can grieve the loss of somebody in their life. Uh, So I would say starting out with preschoolers, that's about the age that, that I begin focusing on in my book when children are able to start really at least if not speaking about playing about their loss. Um, Children this age really have a hard time grasping that death is a permanent state. I often find that children this age 
may have some understanding of death, but it's coming from cartoons, it's coming from movies, it's coming from Disney. Mm -hmm. So they may have beliefs or images that come to mind about death for them that are not totally accurate, might be a little cartoonish, might seem kind of unusual to us if we don't, if we don't think to ask. Uh, you can expect that children this age may ask repeatedly when a loved one is coming back because they are not old enough yet to really grasp that death is permanent. Uh, and you may see that grief coming out in behavior and coming out in play. So children this age are going to have a hard time putting their feelings into words, but we might see it come out through reenacting scenes in play or by regressing. We'll often see kids that age acting younger and picking up habits from earlier developmental stages as a way of trying to feel more secure. Um, so that could look like having a hard time sleeping alone, potty training issues, thumb sucking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then as the kids are getting older and they have more of an understanding of what death is, grief can still look different. Um, it, it's, and the feelings can be major roller coaster. And I, I often hear from people like they were fine a moment ago and mm -hmm. then they were not fine. And I, I don't know how to react like, and then they're playing and then yeah. in the middle of a serious moment and I'm crying because they were crying. Now they're, you know, want to go out and, and play with the neighbor who just rang the doorbell. Like it's very confusing for yes. them. A hundred percent. And if we think about an adult griever behaving that way, it would be very strange if we mm -hmm. had a friend who was grieving and one minute they were sobbing and sobbing uncontrollably and the next they stood up and ran off and they were reading a book someplace else and telling us about a video game they were mm -hmm. playing. That would be very jarring for an adult right. to see. But with children, it's really natural for them to go through their grief in, in bite-sized pieces. For adults, grief can be very static. It can be sort of an all the time feeling that stays with us. We always remember that we've had this loss, but if an adult's emotional capacity is sort of like a, a full eight inch drinking glass, a child's capacity is sort of like a little shot glass. And mm -hmm. when the glass is full, they've done what they can for now with their grief. And they will often put it aside and move on to something else. And it doesn't mean necessarily that they're over it. They've set it aside for now and they'll come back to it later. So you're right that even as children develop more of an understanding of what death is, we may still see it come out in ways that are different than what we might expect. Um, I think often elementary schoolers tend to show us their grief as opposed to tell us their grief. So we might see things like behavior problems in school, concentration issues that almost look like ADD or ADHD. Um, we might see anger issues at home, things that might not immediately spring to mind as being grief related, but really when we dig into it are how children are processing their feelings about their loss. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then as they're getting into the tween and teen years, is there anything that we should be looking for that might be different? Absolutely. I think teenagers and tweens are really at the age where they can think abstractly about death and they might be asking more difficult questions, mm -hmm. whether that's details about how their loved one died or why their loved one died. It could be more existential questions about what this means for them in their life children this age may start thinking about their own mortality, about the afterlife, about the safety of their loved ones. Uh, and 
children this age are often leaning a lot more on their friends and their peers for social support as opposed to just being totally reliant on parents, which is in some time, some cases really fantastic that they have mm -hmm. this big support system. Mm -hmm. But I've also worked with tweens and teens who are really worried about being a burden on their friends or coming across as, as weird. There's a lot of worry at this age about I think in all things, like, am I, am I normal? Are my feelings normal? Do I seem normal to others? And I've had some kids really mask their symptoms because they don't want other people to know that they're grieving. Right, right, right. I, I had spoken to uh, my, unfortunately, one of my friend's sons had passed away and I spoke with um, the sister, um, her daughter, who was also on this podcast, she did an amazing job, even though she was young, she was just outstanding. And, you know, she talked about how, you know, she wished her friends could understand that things change, you know, from moment to moment for her and that there's sometimes that she just wants to be alone. Um, and there's other times when she just needs her friends to kind of just jump in and kind of know what to do, like she, to ask her, what do you need? What do you want? Like she doesn't know, you know, at that moment. So sometimes she just needs the, her friends to kind of ebb and flow with her, which can be very challenging. But I think if we're speaking to kids who have a friend who have a, a, a death in the family, that's really important too, like helping them to understand that their friend's grief may look like pushing away. It may look like I need you now. I didn't need you a minute ago, but I need you now. I need you to, you know, just remember what my favorite things are. I remember, I need you to do maybe just sit with me and not say anything at all. And, and talking to your kids about how you can be an empathic peer um, is, is, just as important as talking to the the child who's dealing with the loss. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I can't think of a time myself when I was young that we ever got that kind of mm -hmm. preparation, either at school or at home. How do you talk about these things? And we mm -hmm. know that that death is more common than we think for young people, that we definitely had children in our school who were grieving, but it just wasn't something that was spoken about. Right. Um, You're yeah. afraid to say anything. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It felt, it almost felt like something that was inappropriate to talk about. Right. I think was right. the like, vibe don't, I got. don't mention it. I remember when my child's one of my, my daughter had a friend and her father passed away. Um, and they were in, I don't know, second, third, fourth. I don't remember right now, but, and you know, it was that feeling like, don't walk over to her and say, you know, say, say, what happened to your dad? Um, you know, like the, the, there was this feeling like you're not supposed don't, don't go do that. Um, but also you need to be comforting, you know, but they, they didn't know what to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And my, my daughter's like, what am I supposed to do? And like, you, you know, you can say something you yeah. can say, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Don't sit there and try to ignore the topic. The topic is there, you yeah. know, but obviously you're not pressing it. If the person doesn't want to talk about it, you know, it's just a, mm -hmm different situation, but you have to be empathic at that point. You can't just, you can't just, you know, push it and you can't just say, well, I want to be able to say these things or do these things. I want to be a good friend and I'm going to do that by, you know, talking about it. Well, they might not want to talk about it. So yeah. it's a challenging situation for these kids. Yeah, it is hard. I've actually, I just remembered 
when I was in middle school, one of my good friend's mothers died very suddenly while I was away on a field trip. And mm -hmm. so we were we were separate at the time. We had heard this news on a, on a bus driving someplace far away. And I had been encouraged to call her by mm -hmm. the teachers. No script about what to say. No right. pointers on that conversation, but call your friend. And I remember I, I called her and I think I started off the conversation with something like, I heard your mom's not doing very well. Oh, why did I say that? Yes, but, right. Because you didn't know what you were doing. It felt like dead was a really bad word to say. It felt yeah. like that was a, almost yes. like a like a swear word to say. And I shouldn't say it because it'd be very rude. But also what mm -hmm. a bizarre phone call for my poor friend who, thank goodness, <laughs> hung in there with me and educated me in this conversation about what she needed. But yeah. what a what a strange thing to feel like yeah. it's not OK to say that word. Right. And you even say in your book, like, we need to say these words because the kids didn't need to understand the permanence of it. And these are not bad words to say yeah. dead or death um, or, or she died. We mm -hmm. need to be able to say those kinds of things. Is that correct? Absolutely. I, yeah. It can sound very blunt and very rude to our adult mm -hmm. years when we're, we're much more used to saying euphemisms like, oh, this person has passed away. We understand what that means, but children don't. They right. don't necessarily understand what that means. They need the finality and they need the language that's correct before mm -hmm. they can move on and understand all of those euphemisms. And when right. we say and things like, oh yeah. yeah. We don't want to say, we don't want to say those things like they went to sleep or whatever, you know, because that causes a lot of confusion, right? Yeah. Can you, can you imagine saying, oh, well, grandpa just fell asleep and, and he's not going to wake up again. How oh. scary bed, how scary bedtime could be right. right next, next time that child has to go to bed. So yeah, passing away, passed away to where mm. even, even sometimes I think things that bring in spirituality if they don't also include information on, on death being permanent can be a little confusing for kids because heaven can feel like a place that maybe you can visit and come back from for young mm. children. Well, why would grandpa go to heaven without us? Why would he mm. go and not come back? And right. so I think there are ways that you can absolutely bring in religion and faith right alongside factual information about death. They don't have to be mutually exclusive, but you mm -hmm. can let kids know that a person's body has died mm -hmm. and their soul has gone to heaven. And that means we won't see them again. So let's give an example that's concrete so that people can hear the kind of thing that you might say, let's say a parent passes away from cancer or from COVID Mm -hmm. uh, or some other kind of illness. How would you explain that to a preschooler versus a child who might be school age or, or a tween? Mm -hmm. I think at any age, I really feel strongly that children need some kind of information, at least about physically what happens when a body dies, and ideally about the cause of death, especially mm -hmm. for children in that elementary age range and higher. So for a preschool child, I would probably start very simple. And with elementary school children and older, you can build on that same explanation and, and, and flesh it out. A really good, simple way of talking about death with a preschool age child is to say, you know, Uncle John died today. When a person dies, it means their body stops working and it doesn't start working again. Their heart stops beating. They can't feel or think or move. They're not feeling any pain. They, they won't be able to visit with us and we won't see them again. Mm -hmm. Something like that, where we're describing physically and concretely what happens when a person dies. Um, and you can then back that up with 
a conversation with that child about how this is going to affect them and what that means for them. Often children's first thought when something like this happens is what does it mean for me? Mm -hmm. Am I safe? Am I cared for? And are my feelings going to be okay here? So you can follow that up with what you know about the plan so far. Maybe, you know, mom has to go visit the cousins tomorrow to make sure everything is okay. Dad will stay here with you. Mm -hmm. The babysitter's going to come. There will be lots of people to take care of you tomorrow. And you can have any kinds of feelings or questions you want about Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And then you can even offer a couple of comforting activities for later in the day if they want. Would you like to be by yourself? Would you like to watch a movie together? What Mm -hmm. tell me? tell me what you would like to do today mm-hmm. and then open and then open it up to questions from them. Uh, for an older child, I think you can have a very similar explanation based on your understanding of, of where they're at with understanding death, that it's permanent, that the body stops working for something like cancer. You can say cancer is a disease that affects little tiny parts of our body called cells. And cancer is a disease that takes good cells and turns them into bad cells and they grow really quickly and they can hurt the body. So, you know, in Uncle John's case, the doctors tried really hard to take care of his cancer and he took a lot of medicine, but eventually those bad cells got to be so big and so strong that it caused his body to stop working Mm -hmm. and he, and he died. Um, Giving an explanation like this can sound a little bit morbid, I think sometimes, Mm -hmm. but what it does is it takes away questions for the child about could they have done anything differently? Mm-hmm. Or for some children, even a question of, did they somehow cause this to happen? Right. Um, I, I know that any, any of the mental health people listening to this know about magical thinking, but mm-hmm. elementary school-aged kids often have a belief that what they think and what they feel affects the outside world directly. And I have worked with many children who have had a deep, deep fear that thinking something angry about a sibling or wishing somebody was dead or even just feeling mad somehow caused their loved one to die. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yes. That's very hard on the children and they can be filled with guilt. Mm -hmm. So we do need to talk to them about how it happened and how they had nothing to do with it. There was nothing, no, no matter what thoughts they had good or bad, it wouldn't have made a difference in this situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you provide a lot of different activities to help kids understand what grief is from reading a grief story to um, making a question mailbox Mm -hmm. to a ball in a box. Can you explain some of these activities and how it helps to talk about grief with these activities? Yeah, absolutely. In the first chapter of my book, uh, I really focus on education about death and education about grief, because I think there is such a lack in our culture that Mm -hmm. even older children sometimes really benefit from basic information about what happens when a person dies, what happens at a funeral. Mm -hmm. And also we can start to help children understand that there are a wide range of feelings and responses after grief that are totally normal. Grief is a really scary feeling and it can feel very out of control. And I think many of us assume that people feel sad when a loved one dies, which we absolutely can, but we could also feel numb or angry or confused Mm -hmm. or very scared. And all of those feelings are okay too. So there are many activities in the book that are just normalizing what feelings of grief are and giving children the vocabulary to speak about death comfortably. Um, You mentioned reading a grief story. I think Mm -hmm. picture books are a fantastic way to do this because 
it gives a little bit of remove from having to talk about your own story right away. You can watch another character go through this. And I also think if you recognize your own experiences in that story, it really drives home the fact that that those feelings are okay to have and common to have. Mm-hmm, right. Because they're seeing that somebody else is also has gone through it so much so that there's an author that wrote about it. And there are people who are taking this book out from the library and buying this book because they also are experiencing it. You know, this is exactly. something that's that is common and normal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you, with the ball in the box, what, what was that about um, when it was, co- it was related to how grief can kind of strike us throughout time? Yeah. I, for many of the activities in this book, I thought about things that are helpful for adults who are grieving or people I know who have grieved And how do I translate these big, abstract, kind of heady, you know, concepts into something that is more concrete and more accessible to kids? And I don't know if you're familiar with this ball in the box concept. It it was originally a tweet that went viral on Twitter where a woman was talking about how grief is like having a ball in a box and that you have a box that has an imaginary button in it. And you imagine that right after somebody dies, this box has an enormous ball inside that is moving around and every time it presses the button, you feel pain and you feel grief and you're reminded of your loved one. And that as time progresses, it's as if the ball gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's rattling around and it doesn't hit the button as much. Um, So I loved that one. I really did. I think it's such a great way of making an abstract concept concrete because kids are concrete thinkers. Well, it's such a beautiful image for adults to think about how grief never fully goes away and it's okay to have these triggers, but it lends itself to really demonstrating we can make it hands-on with items we've got at home. You can, you can get a box, you can demonstrate this with kids. You can put a softball in the box and a marble in the box and really make that an experience that engages kids physically and with their senses to feel what that is like. Okay. So we've talked about exploring emotions on this podcast many times in the past, and it's an important uh, aspect of, of parenting. I think it's incredibly important because our kids, they're, they're constantly changing their emotions and grief provides sometimes surprising emotions as we discussed and, and changing emotions. You discuss a perspective taking um, activity through being a film critic, I thought was really interesting. You talked about double dip feelings, using a yeah. beach ball to, d- to discuss pushing feelings down. So can you ex- explain some of these types of activities and how they can help kids name and explore emotions when dealing with grief? Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, a common um, struggle that I have seen grieving children go through, or really children that have experienced any kind of traumatic event, is that it can be really hard to name and own those feelings at first, whether that's because you just don't have the language for it yet, you haven't learned those words yet in the case of younger kids, or because it just feels embarrassing to talk about, it feels vulnerable to talk about, it's too big to talk about. Mm -hmm. So many of the activities in the book give children the opportunity first to name these feelings in somebody else or to imagine the feelings Mm -hmm. happening to someone else as Mm -hmm. sort of a gateway 
for eventually being able to own and name those feelings for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, being watching a movie together that we know has emotional content in it and giving children an opportunity to recognize and name those feelings in other people is a great first step that feels more inviting and less overwhelming to children than immediately having to dig deep into their own story and their own emotional mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that we're, it's almost like if this happened to a friend or somebody that you are watching here on this film, you know, what advice would you give them? What do you think they're feeling? You know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if you were sitting next to them, what might you say to them? Because it takes, it takes it off of them and put it themselves. I mean, cause that can be so prickly at that point mm -hmm. and then puts it on somebody else. And that kind of otherizing in that moment can free them to talking yeah. about their feelings more. Yeah. And I think it can be really, it can be a great opportunity for parents or for caregivers as well to get a little insight into how their children are thinking about grief or how they are experiencing their feelings. Because we know even when we're coming up with an imaginary story or we're imagining how someone else is feeling or giving advice to somebody, we're also revealing parts of ourselves in there too, that even when children are talking about an imaginary mm -hmm. other child, they're really speaking about themselves. And so mm -hmm. parents get this peek into feelings that are maybe coming up for their child that aren't quite able to be verbalized yet, but we can see what's coming around the corner and, mm -hmm. and start helping them through it now. Okay. So one of the major feelings that comes up during grief is worry and anxiety when coping with grief. And you talk about looking for the helpers as, as one of them, which we've heard a lot when uh, quoting Mr. Rogers and sensory bottles and beanbag breathing and going through an exercise, which allows your child to decipher what they can and can't control. If you were sitting next to a child right now who was dealing with grief, how might you take them through an exercise like can control it, can't control it, or look for the helpers so that people who are listening right now understand how to sort of set this up and how to discuss it to make it successful for them. Absolutely. I think, um, let me think, let me think of one that might be a really good example here. Um, this isn't one that you've said, but it's one of my favorites. Is yeah, it okay if I hey, tell you one? No, that, that would be great. This is my bread and butter. I use this Ooh, bread time. and butter. I think, Fabulous. I think, I think it's helpful for many children. <laughs> it uses a little bit of that kind of, we call it like projective technique mm -hmm. that we've been talking about the idea of, you know, putting your thoughts and feelings off of yourself and onto somebody else. Uh, and I, I think in the book, we call it feelings in my, or worries in my brain. Mm -hmm. um, and to, to do this, you, before your child sits down or with your child, um, you draw a profile of somebody's face. And mm -hmm. sometimes I draw this and I let the child make fun of me because I'm not very good at drawing people's faces in profile, mm -hmm. which, you know, kind of levels the playing field to start. Or sometimes mm -hmm. children really enjoy drawing a big outline on the paper themselves. So that can be a nice in for your child to start with something that's a little bit creative that isn't immediately feeling mm -hmm. like like work or a chore. Yeah. Um, and then in this situation, I try to avoid using words like you. And I'll, mm -hmm. I'll say, let's imagine that this is a child, right? Mm -hmm. Let's imagine that this is a child whose grandfather died recently. Um, and they are having 
all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of worries in their brain about this. So we're going to draw a brain inside of this head and we are going to fill it up with all of the different thoughts and worries that this kid could be having. And I would then suggest that we take turns doing that. Instead of just having the child write down all of the worries that this person could have, we're gonna alternate. And that does two things. It takes a little bit of pressure off of the child, but it also gives me as the adult a chance to offer a good role model of what some mm -hmm. of those thoughts could be. And to maybe even just throw some suggestions out there that I wonder if my child might be feeling. Mm -hmm. Things that might be hard for them to say, but I'm just going to put it out there. You know, I'm worried that maybe mom or dad could die too, or mm. I'm worried that something bad could happen to me, mm. or I'm scared to go to bed at night because I don't feel safe. I can throw those things out and just see if they land in a very low pressure way for my child. Mm -hmm. So once we've taken some turns writing or drawing these feelings, sometimes younger children prefer to draw pictures and they can dictate to you what the picture means. Eventually, this brain is going to be so full and we can mm. say, oh, my gosh, can you imagine having to be this poor kid walking around like this with all of these worries? This has to feel so hard. What do you think it would be like for this mm -hmm. kid? Listen to what your child says. And then at the end, I invite the child to circle any worries that are true for them. Mm -hmm. So maybe not all of these are true for them. Maybe they don't have all these worries, but if they're sharing these worries, they can circle them. And I think it's important here to really let kids own what they're ready to own. So even if as a parent, we're like, what are you talking about? Right. I like, know that totally you're, you. yeah. I know you're scared to go to bed because you're right. knocking on my door every night. Right. I know this. If they don't circle it, we don't go, really? Are you sure? Yeah. This is for them. This is their own process. We can come back to this activity another day, but it's a really nice way for children to take that first step from moving from feeling somebody else could have to thoughts and feelings that I'm having too. Mm -hmm. And it can open up a really nice conversation, both about maybe I didn't know you were having these worries. Mm -hmm. What can we do to help? And then to even look at some of the other activities in the book that are more focused on not just naming worries, but managing the anxiety. Right. Going back that. to the, the breathing yeah. exercises or, mm -hmm. okay. And that whole idea of, well, when we have all these worries, but we don't talk about them, yeah. You know, and they kind of get stuck in our brain and, and we try to push them down or we try to push them under the rug. It still remains a lumpy rug. Yeah, and exactly. And you can take it many, you can take it all different directions from there. And I have kids who have kind of used this at home as sort of a repeated check-in with their parents. Kids mm. really, really seem to latch onto this a lot of the time as a way that they can almost just get out what's on their mind at the moment. And it's interesting to see how those, those pictures evolve over time. So when you say they kind of lean on them, do they, do they then say to their parent, you know, a couple of days later, remember when we did that exercise and I wrote down this, but I didn't circle it. Now I I, 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 I what, what happens? I don't think I've ever had a kid come in with that level of insight. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past some of my older ones to say, I right. wasn't ready to circle it the other day, but now I am. I yeah. think absolutely could happen. I have had younger kids ask to repeat the activity. Oh, wow. can, can we do it again? Right. Can we do and, it again? Because yeah. maybe something else will come out. Right. They're right. Or maybe, or something. maybe we'll circle it this time. Yeah. Can yes, we do it exactly. Again? I mean, like that is kind of insightful, isn't it? That's yeah. like a great way of doing it without saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, okay. So that's, that's very advanced. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the feelings that we often don't discuss that we really need to discuss is anger. You talk about it in your book, feeling anger when somebody dies. That's a tough one because it is people, like, you're supposed to be sad, you know, like anger. No, but sad. Yeah, that's okay. So children often get harmful messages about anger, that anger is bad or it's wrong. Um, they might be made to feel like they need to be looking to the bright side, um, that they should be grateful for what they do have um, and not sit there in the middle of their own pity party for too long. Like you've had your moment to be pitiful. Now you need mm -hmm. to move on. You're not allowed to be you know, upset or angry. So yeah. you talk about talk about using an exercise, um, but it's unfair. Yeah. Um, which, which I thought was really interesting because it gets right at the heart of the matter to help kids deal with this question of why me and, and why they're so angry. So how might an activity like that or a different one, it doesn't have to be that one. How can it help to address the anger that they may be feeling? I think the, the unfairness one really hits the nail on the head because that yeah. is a, a sentiment that I hear over and over from kids. I'm thinking back to the, the young woman you had on the podcast and how she needed a certain amount of support from her mm -hmm. friends and a special kind of support that they couldn't always, you know, re read into what she needed. And something that I've heard so much from older kids too, is that it is just so hard to listen to their non-bereaved friends complain about, oh, I bet you. Yes. About day-to-day -day stuff. You know, I can't yeah. believe my dad wants me to call him when I get to my sleepover. Right. That's so annoying. And these, you know, of course that's like totally developmentally where they right. should be. They should right. be annoyed by that. There's nothing but wrong with it. But meanwhile, they're, this person's yeah. brother died. So they're right. not, they're not there. You know, what I wouldn't right. give to have my dad call right. me today, what exactly. I wouldn't give to have yes. my mom be annoying to me today. And right. You don't understand how lucky you are to right. still have your dad or your mom. Yeah. yeah. And so giving kids a chance to voice these things that almost feel like you're not allowed to say them because of course we can't be mad at our friend for being annoyed at their dad. And of mm -hmm. course we can't tell them that it's, it's not fair that they still have a mom and that we don't, right. Mm -hmm. We can't, it's, it's not socially acceptable to say those things, but if we don't get them out in a safe place, that anger is still going to come out toward mm -hmm. our friends. They just might not understand why. So giving kids a place where instead of saying you can't feel this anger, you can't have these feelings, it's, it's not all right to show them to people to say anger is completely valid and normal and even good to have. Here are some safe places to put it so that it, we're not unintentionally hurting people um, is really helpful, um, whether that's, you know, listing or voicing things that we think are unfair. And, and reading them to somebody who can listen and witness that for us, mm -hmm. or even giving kids opportunities to do things through art or through their imagination that they couldn't do in real life. Like something I often tell kids is that it's okay to say or act out mean things in my playroom because mm -hmm. the things we do for pretend can't hurt people in real life. So there's, mm. there's another activity in that section too, where we use a whiteboard, I think it's called spray away where you can draw a picture of somebody you're mad at. That could be the person who died. It could be the doctor who couldn't save them. It could be your mom for not telling you sooner that something had happened. And you can draw angry things on the board. You can say angry things to them. You can X them out. You can scribble over them. And at the end, you take your spray bottle and you mist the whiteboard and it all kind of dissolves and it's all right. You can get rid of it. 
but giving mm-hmm. children safe ways to voice those things and understanding that our thoughts and our feelings and having angry thoughts and feelings is very different than acting on them. And it doesn't, doesn't make us a bad person. Mm. Mm, that is extremely powerful and uh, something to remember. I think our, as a parent, we often want to say to our kids, you shouldn't be thinking that you shouldn't be saying that you know, that's unkind mm-hmm. when they're dealing with such frustrating situations. We need to give them an avenue to talk about it and get it out without being judged yeah. and assessed for right. what they're saying in that moment. It- Exactly. It's okay to say those things for me, to me. Of course, we know we can't go haul off and hit people in real life. We Mm -hmm. all know that. But if you need a minute to say that you wish you could, that that's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I could talk about this um, for much longer, but of course, we're coming to the top of the, the end of our interview. So can you give us your top tip? What would you really hope somebody would come away with after listening to this podcast or reading your book about how to help kids manage childhood grief? If I, if I could have parents and caregivers in particular, adults who are working with kids take away one thing, it's that talking about grief, especially sharing your own memories, your own thoughts, your own feelings of grief doesn't hurt a child. I hear so many parents Mm -hmm. so worried that if they bring up their own grief, if they speak about the person who's died, if they mention anything about their life or their death, that they're going to remind their child, they're going to trigger their child, that it will somehow cause their child more pain. And that's, I think, especially true when you have a child who on the outside doesn't seem to be grieving, but we know on the inside, they're almost certainly still thinking about this person. And Mm -hmm. so we never want to grill a child or force them to share, but that you saying you remember this person who's died, you saying that you're thinking about them on a special day or that you miss them today is telling your child that it is okay for them to talk about this too, and that you can handle it. Many of the children I speak to interpret that silence from parents as a sign that they can't handle the conversation. They're not ready to talk about it. So there's no magic words. There's no perfect time. It's okay if it's awkward. Talk about it. Mm. That is beautifully said and so important to give our kids permission to talk about the tough topics by showing them that you are available and that you're talking about the tough topic too, that you're the other side of the coin there, that you're not uh, saying they should talk about it while you just sit there and listen, that you're willing Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable and say, I miss this person. I'm angry about this situation. Um, I'm feeling worried, whatever it is, without going to the extreme where, you know, these are things that you need to talk about with another adult or a therapist, but the kinds of things that, make your child know that you are there and that you're feeling it too, that Mm -hmm. co-compassion, that co-empathy so that everybody is on the same page. That really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book and the work you're doing? Oh, well, if you would like to learn more about the work I do or learn about the book, you can do both of those things at katielear.com. That's K-A-T-I-E-L-E-A-R.com. Um, I do have a 
extra resource bundle there too, where if someone has purchased my book, they can email me their proof of purchase and I've got five extra exercises and some other goodies that didn't make it into the book in time. Yes. I was so mad that Encanto oh. came out right after the book went to print. Like it <laughs> leaves my, you know, my inbox and goes off to the publisher and this movie comes out that's yes. like literally entirely about a family's response to grief. So there's an extra Encanto exercise and some other things that people can can grab on my website. And then the book is available um, in all major bookstores and on the Simon & Schuster website as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, I wanna thank you so much for being on the show today and for sharing these exercises that again, are so accessible. It allows us to really know what to do, what to say, how to help our kids through a tough time. These activities can also be used during other times, I thought uh, to myself while reading them. And, and when we're trying to get emotions out, when we're dealing with anger or sadness or worry. So it can do double duty, um, but certainly something that we can talk about when uh, we're dealing with grief or impending grief. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope that this helps people feel a little bit less scared about talking about these really in intimidating subjects. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And all the links that you provide will also be on our show notes. And I want to thank you. I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. You can come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. Let's chat about it. DrRobinSilverman.com or Twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'll be going back and forth with Katie Lear um, when we're talking about grief and we're talking about the podcast and you should get involved in those conversations too. And if you love this podcast, like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. So other people can hear about Katie Lear and the work that she's done, the book that she's written so that they can use it in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to how to talk to kids about anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there. And as I mentioned, the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. So if you are running, if you are in the car, if you can't write it down, we got you. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's often a tomorrow, but of course this podcast episode brings to mind the idea that we have to do this early and embrace the time that we do have. Parenting typically provides us with the ultimate do-over. So if you haven't talked about death yet, you can talk about it today. If you haven't talked about grief yet, you can start today. If you said something you wish you didn't, you wanna do it differently, you can try again today. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting to conversations. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.